Welcome to the Optimal Bio Podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at optimalbio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Welcome everybody to another edition of Optimal Bio Podcast. Today, we are honored to have Dr. Robert Malone with us. And of course, Dr. Greg Brannon, founder of Optimal Bio. Dr. Malone, as most of you know, is the inventor of mRNA and DNA vaccines. Uh, he's also a scientist, a physician, a writer, a podcaster, uh, and pretty much everything else as it relates to medical freedom and what we're going through in the U.S. at this point in time. So, doctor, welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm, I'm uh, uh, glad for the opportunity to speak to your audience and to the Optima Bio family. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. So you've been pretty busy uh, last couple of days talking about uh, Peter Hotez and RFK and uh, yeah. Junior and, um, and I Joe Rogan I did not and all that this. good stuff. <laughs> I, got, I got sucked into the vortex. Uh, um, you know, it's it's not my style to uh, cast stones at others, but a lot of people have have asked me to try to make sense out of it, and I've done my best to try to be the grown up in the middle of. Uh, the academic equivalent of a food fight. Yeah, and I think you've done a great job with that. And I thought we would just take a little bit of a different tack today. Uh, as you probably know, um, June is Men's Health Month. I didn't and know that, uh, obviously, I'll, well, <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> well, it's been drowned out by another uh, by a lot of other things in uh, in June these days. Uh, um, just so, <laughs> multicolored flags, so, etc. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And with Optimal Bio being obviously a, uh, a wellness health business and company, um, why don't we just talk a little bit about uh, yourself and your health journey um, over the course of your life. And, um, you know, as we age, um, you know, we might be doing some things differently when we're 40 compared to when we're 50 compared to when we're 60. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about mRNA at some point today, but, um, you know, just from our listeners, like, I know you travel a lot. I know you're very busy doing a lot of different things. I know you have a farm. Uh, so kind of give us an uh, insight into your your diet and your exercise routine and just how you deal with stress and how you handle, you know, the physical part of your life. So I'm, I was originally a carpenter and a farmhand. Uh, I kind of bootstrapped up to become a physician and a scientist. So I'm not a silver spoon. And I've always been very active. Uh, I grew up in the central coast of California uh, as a rock climber and uh, a horse enthusiast riding western up in the hills and along the bluffs and stuff. And always worked with my hands and my back and, and really took great pleasure in it. Uh, it's, it's been a core part of, of my life. And uh, so has uh, small farming. This is our fifth small farm. But uh, somewhere along the way, I got caught up in academe and science and biotechnology and all that kind of stuff and uh, did, did those things. And um, that, that life as a, as a young father, a husband of uh, now 44 years, married to my high school sweetheart, uh, um, occasionally rebuilding homes, 
uh, as necessary because I've never been rich. And uh, just generally trying to get along, pretty much consume my life. I've never had the luxury of having time really for a physical exercise routine. I've always justified that I got my physical exercise by working <laughs> and uh, working with my hands and my back. And, uh, but that's not always compatible with having young children and raising children and trying to build an academic career and all that. Uh, but I've mostly stayed fairly healthy. I'm small framed. I uh, stand at about five, seven and a half. I'm sorry. I get, I get this feedback sometimes when people meet me that have seen me in the podcast and whatnot. And what I get is, well, I thought you were taller, um, which, you know, what can you say to that? Oh, thank you. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> How kind of you to share that. Uh, so I've, I've typically hovered in the kind of 145 to 155 pound range for five, seven and a half. And then in, in working always, uh, particularly over the last decade, running our horse farm, plus having a, a consulting and academic career and writing papers and whatnot, and a fairly active lifestyle. And then along comes COVID. And uh, I got infected in the first wave in February of 2020. When I was at the end of February, I was at a, a drug discovery conference in Boston, staying across from the corporation that was ground zero for the outbreak in Boston. It hit me hard. People that tell you that COVID is nothing, uh, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for them. Uh, Wuhan one was a pretty severe respiratory infection. Uh, it was not true. And at the time I was scared silly. I, I'm a trained as a pathologist and I was working with pathologists and we were all convinced that the outcome of the poor souls that got infected was going to be what's called pulmonary interstitial fibrosis or progressive pulmonary interstitial fibrosis, which is pretty much a death sentence. It's a slow burn death sentence, but that's, it's, it's, you know, it's akin to dying of emphysema. It's not a very nice way to die. Uh, it's a lingering death, a progressive pulmonary interstitial fibrosis. And I thought that was my uh, lot in life at that point when I got infected. And, and I, out of desperation, started trying drugs that we had identified with my group in a large drug discovery, repurposed drug discovery project and of those, famotidine gave me good uh, relief, which is why I ended up going down the rabbit hole of the mast cell hypothesis and the role of mast cells in the pulmonary disease associated with COVID. But what matters for my health was that after that happened, uh, I developed what, what at the time was a term that was not accepted, long COVID or long haulers was what was being used a reference to truckers. Uh, and uh, I could not even really walk up the hill. I had trouble doing the routine chores on the farm. I used to be able to routinely outwork 20, 20 year olds, you know, 20 somethings, just because I knew how to use my body. And it's not like I'm so strong and I'm all buff and built up and, and pumped out. Just uh, I've always used my body and my muscles and I've known how to use my body. And I could, I could, uh, I had pretty good stamina. After that, I was I was down, and uh, the you know there was and at the time there was no real drugs, which is probably a good thing. Otherwise, they might have been put on remdesivir. And uh, exactly, <laughs> yeah, count your blessings. 
uh, yep. <laughs> the medical establishment hadn't figured out yet how to kill people efficiently, except with ventilators. Um, that, that was sarcasm, everybody. Just uh, want to make that clear. Um, and uh, um, so I was, I was a long hauler, and uh, and I have to admit, I was, I was, uh, I had before all this happened, I had been going to uh, a local physician named Christine Bovey who's a cardiologist and optimal bio bought her practice. And I was going to her for hormone supplementation uh, using the pellet technology because uh, when the tests had been run, I, I had uh, like many men of my age in my early sixties, uh, a lot of my hormone levels were out of whack, uh, both uh, in terms of testosterone, uh, in terms of thyroid, and many other things. And I was taking a multivitamin, but I really wasn't taking supplements in a serious way. And I was a vegetarian. We'd been vegetarians for years. And uh, the downside to being a vegetarian is if you, you either have to be very sophisticated in your cooking, or you end up going down the pathway of a lot of processed foods that are readily available, that are sold for vegetarians. Uh, often soy based. And I had gradually put on more and more weight. And then, then uh, my eating habits being what they were when I was active, suddenly I was inactive because I was basically debilitated by the consequences of the virus. And I started putting on weight. And, uh, and so Chris, uh, Dr. Bovey had, had really helped my wife and I with the hormone supplementation that, that was super helpful. Uh, but still I was not right. And, uh, I decided, uh, um, stupidly that, uh, I listened to what was really now propaganda. We know that if you took the jab, the mRNA vaccine, the additional kick of antigen of protein of the spike protein would rev up your immune system and you'd be able to kick the symptoms of long COVID. And instead, what happened was I developed hypertension with systolic to 230 for the uninitiated. That's life threatening. Um, and, uh, restless leg, uh, tinnitus that I still have, narcolepsy, a number of other things that at the time were odd symptoms, but now we know are part of the classical constellation of the post vaccination syndrome. And so I was still, um, just not, not right. And uh, a couple of physicians visited me and they want to remain nameless. One of them has had their license taken away from them. And they prescribed an early treatment protocol that included a, uh, a horse drug. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on this uh, particular channel, um, uh, or it's, it's uh, touted as a horse drug by the FDA, although it's a very yeah. common uh, um, anti-parasitic that is extremely safe. Um, as well as some other agents. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, it just turned out that I was scheduled to go give a talk on the West Coast to a conservative group in Silicon Valley. And I was going to use the opportunity to go visit one of my favorite places in the world, uh, which is, uh, Big Sur out in Monterey. Mm -hmm. And about two days after starting the treatment, uh, um, there in Monterey, I went hiking with my kids and I, I just had this months and months and months of, uh, 
low energy and, and not being able to perform like I used to perform. I was a rock climber. I, I did the Muir Trail as a young man. And uh, suddenly I was out hiking, out hiking, in other words, exceeding uh, the, the speed and stride length of, of my younger son in his 20s. And I was uh, stunned. Um, since then, I've had a, a gradual improvement, but my weight has, with all the travel and all of the uh, poor diet that comes with travel, you know, the hotel food, get up in the morning, have the hotel breakfast, which is always a high fat, eggs, you know, if, if you're a vegetarian, your only opportunity is eggs, really, um, or, or sticky buns or various uh, grains, grain-based products. And I just gradually kept climbing up uh, north of uh, 190 pounds and uh, putting on weight, traveling, 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 until uh, a, a fellow physician who uh, is also a member of kind of, of the um, resistance to the approved therapies movement uh, here in Rappahannock County got a hold of me and he said, hey, you, you really need to change your diet. Uh, now, he has a little conflict of interest because he happens to also be a cattle rancher and he raised some of the best Angus around. But he said, you have to, Robert, for your own good, you have got to get off this high carb diet and uh, you have to start taking care of yourself. Jill was already, my wife was already, um, we had really upped our game in terms of supplements, uh, you know, with the engagement with Optimal Bio uh, and, and many of the recommendations they'd made, made another reading that we'd made and and uh, so, so I had the supplements pretty well down now. That was, that was improving. Uh, and, um, but the weight was a problem and my glycemic index was high. Um, I was basically kicked into a inflammatory pre-diabetic state by the way I was living. And all this travel means I wasn't working on the farm. I wasn't, wasn't getting my exercise time. And uh, just gradually slipping and slipping and slipping in terms of energy and wakefulness and uh, good, good health. And uh, so a few months ago, we, we finally uh, just rolled over and conceded the point. I don't think there's a grain of sugar in the house now. Uh, we got rid of sugar. Um, we don't eat breakfast cereal. I, I eat one real meal and one, you know, yogurt and berries or something like that in the evening. Uh, Love it. And um, uh, really, and I, I found I, I personally, I think the best diet food I've ever encountered so far is beef jerky. Uh, I can get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee and a bit of beef jerky. And then, then the whole uh, GI thing is, is settled in. I've tricked my gut yep. into thinking that it got something. Uh, and uh, go about my business. And often I don't eat until two or three in the afternoon and then, Perfect. and then light food uh, in the early evening. So I don't get uh, gastritis. And, um, and then uh, I, it's actually this morning was a milestone. I hit 157. Yay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm on track. Uh, the, the, uh, the objective is 150 and the stretch objective is 145. Uh, I think if I hit 150, I, it's, I'm, I'm going to be ecstatic. But, um, and then I've, I've decided lately 
to back off. You know, the COVID crisis is mostly over. We're now in the kind of postmortem, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, we're we're clearly we're we're uh, there are major issues about what's happened uh, nationally, globally within the uh, medical community. Um, there's just a lot of bad that's happened and, and no accountability so far and a lot of denial. And, and you know, the Peter Hotez kerfuffle is just the latest embodiment of that. It's actually, I think, in many ways encouraging that now people are finally willing to challenge the anointed priesthood of vaccinology. Uh, Love it. Uh, but uh, um, uh, for me personally, we've, we've backed off on the travel. I actually... I was scheduled to go to Hawaii for a three island tour in six days, uh, but starting July 10th. And uh, Jill, Jill the other day woke up and she said, I just don't want to go to Hawaii. Um, and uh, which seems odd, but we've been there twice during the COVID crisis for rallies. And it's, uh, you know, it's not a vacation. When I travel all this, I'm not, I'm not on vacation. I may go to exotic places, but um, it's not vacation time. It's, you know, you're on stage and uh, you know, people want to meet you. They want to go to dinner with you. It's, again, the cycle of rich, rich diet and, and uh, stress of meeting new people and having to come up with presentations and all that. And uh, I've I had deferred a lot of the maintenance here on the farm, both in terms of the equipment, the tractors, uh, the uh, horses, uh, the orchards. And so I've spent a lot of time over the last month and a half or so just playing catch up, getting trees in the ground and doing the pruning and uh, fixing the equipment. And I, I that is just so therapeutic. Um, and uh, I've got my color back and I'm losing weight. And uh, and I think I'm on the right path. Uh, and um, right. of course, the hormone supplements uh, continue to be a central part of of enabling me uh, to be the me that I used to be. And uh, the other day, to be honest, uh, was Jill and I were talking, uh, and and uh, we both agreed we feel paradoxically younger than than we used to feel. It's it's like we're we're de aging a bit. Uh, and we've entered into a new phase in our life where uh, we, we don't have the responsibilities of children anymore. Uh, we have more financial security. Uh, we'll, hopefully that stays the same. And uh, we're, we're enjoying our lives. We're enjoying each other. We are reaping the benefits of a longstanding stable marriage, which are huge. I, I can't say enough about the benefits of um long-term monogamy as far as i'm concerned uh and agree more yeah so so that's you wanted you wanted the uh arc of of my uh, uh my life from a health uh and wellness perspective I, I think that's a reasonable framing well real quick that's interesting jim the way he's talking uh, we have a new book coming out called restore coming out next march and, and I take a journey through a woman's life from a young to a young woman to a mature and a man the same way and where these hormones work and why they're so important in our development. And then we go through the pathology because I, as example I use in the book, I'm using diabetes. We would never change 
the definition of diabetes because everybody's getting it. You'd want to get everybody out of diabetic because you know the blindness of dementia, the cardiovascular disease, but lower hormones, basically aging. If you look at it as a disease, we can knock off osteoporosis. We can knock off cardiovascular disease, dementia stuff and push it out further by keeping the biochemistry milieu at a younger age. And I'm, I'm a year younger than you are. And when you and I were in school, a testosterone level was, you know, roughly 900 to 1300 for a man. Now the protocol is down to around 220, 240. Uh, it's, and women used to be around, yeah, say 150 to 200. Now they call a woman normal. She's above three. So it's, it's, it's I love you saying paradoxically, like, you know, older, uh, younger, because our body is going chronologically further, but biologically we can slow it down. And we had data to show that. So I loved your story because that's exactly what optimal bio is about. Um, it, it is, it is, it is science. And I like you talked about the priests of today. You know, we you and I were started our training right around the food pyramid time, and you look back at the data. Yeah, going oh, twelve to uh, nine twelve grains a day, going from a high fat, high protein diet to that—that's the culprit for all the complications today. Yeah. So you know, Jefferson that, that and the sugar lobby. Government to have more. The sugar, yeah, the sugar lobby. They have the, they have studies back as late early fifties, but this whole government thing is that I believe there are men and women trying to do the best they got, but but the thing about this liberty demands responsibility, right? And most people don't want responsibility. So what I really want to do is to make sure that we have the science there to educate. I believe informed consent is the cornerstone of medicine. So we spend more time on education than anything else because, again, it's your body. But your story is exactly what we talk about every single day. We love it. Well, thank you. And, and thank you for uh, the role that you and your organization and uh, Dr. Bobby, your predecessor, have, have played in helping Jill and I to uh, to get back more on a normal, you know, what we feel like is a normal keel, a, a healthy exactly. adult keel. In fact, I got a section of Dr. Malone in my book. So uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very important is that it's, again, I, and I like to think normal, it, it's, it's optimal. There are certain values that allow our muscles, our bones, our brain, our heart to work. Anything other than that, because this body's wonderfully made, it could almost function in all these hostile environments. But again, we don't want to just survive. There's opportunity to thrive. And I believe the, the ultimate benefit is the benefits of aging, the wisdom we get as we get our gray. And, you know, Twain said the youth is wasted on the young, but it's, it's not the young I care about. It's getting their youthful chemistry bonded with the aid, the wisdom of aging. To me, that's the Holy grail. And that's, I think there's an opportunity. I do believe whatever COVID, whatever side you fall on the COVID thing, I do believe it's opened up that we should be very, very, uh, we got to question everything. And if you, yes. if a person will not want you to question them, I think you got to look for another physician because you're the ultimate in charge. I think questioning is how we gain knowledge. And it's very important that that one size does not fit all. And we got to make sure we articulate that. And I'm, I'm a, as you, Dr. Mullen, as you know, I'm a huge freak on liberty. And um, the idea of that your responsibility is crucial. But I'm hoping we can motivate people to understand it's not that complicated if explained correctly. So there we are. So I have to ask you, Dr. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yes. So going back in your journey, um, you're, were you always a vegetarian or did you decide at some point in time to become a vegetarian? And what made you decide to do that? Very early in our lives uh, together, my wife and I decided to go vegetarian. Uh, we weren't always vegetarian, but it's been um, uh, at least 30 years, um, maybe 40. Uh, what made us decide uh, it was a mixture of things. 
we've we've been involved in animal research. Uh, we try we strive to be ethical. Uh, we uh, live our lives with animals, and we have great respect for animals as separate beings um, uh, that are thinking beings, intelligent beings, and uh, where we ha- had childhood and young adult experiences in the central coast of California, watching the decimation of marine life, for instance, through purse seining and overfishing. And uh, we just thought that it was, it was the right thing to do to live lower on the food chain and uh, to strive uh, to have, it's along the lines of the Syria club, the classic Sierra club ethic of, uh, you know, leave the world a better place after you leave, uh, leave only footprints, take only pictures. Uh, and um, so that's that's where we came from. Uh, the, and we've been kind of uh, lacto-ovo vegetarians uh, the, along the lines that uh, some, some cultures use where if it's freely given, uh, then it's acceptable uh, rather than having to sacrifice a life. Uh, so that that was that's been our kind of a moral stance, uh, and that's that's where we were coming from for a long time. Uh, we still don't we still respect animals, and we certainly don't take any pleasure in uh, killing animals, and uh, we treat uh, animal based protein with respect. Uh, but um, uh, it's it's just become clear that a living one of the things we've learned more recently as we've been looking closer into health and healthy foods and things like that is how contaminated the grain-based and, and soybean-based food supply is with a whole range of agents, not the least of which is glyphosate. And we've been writing about this quite a bit. There's, there's, uh, you know, the logic that, uh, a plant-based diet as a healthier diet uh, is if you, if you dive into it, the nature of the plant-based foods that we have here in the United States is really does not have very good integrity. Uh, And it comes down to things like supplements that are put into bread uh, so that it can hang on hooks uh, and um, that are not, that are outlawed in, in Europe. Uh, and, and I just got back from Europe. I was in Italy for a few weeks. My wife has a sensitive gut when American grains and all the studies I've read, I go, Jody, let's go for it. Let's try some pasta and pizza. She came back. We came back five pounds lighter, no GI disturbances. Yeah. So when you don't spray, it's amazing that GMO and Roundup is illegal there, but yet it's, you know, as you know, it's, and it's a known carcinogen and they spray it like for feed for chickens. It's sprayed before everything blossoms is the last spray of it. And it's it's crazy because our, our soil's ruined. Our top soils has yeah. been wiped out. Yep. So all these things are there. So back to even eating animals, if you're eating, you know, wild elk or, or boar or things like that, or, that are or grass, grass, fed, grass fed beef. Living life. Yeah, grass fed beef. Yes, um, completely different. And we, so they, they bump it all together. And, but it's amazing. I, I, and I'm not here to attack that they're not trying to do good. Give us more food. I, I understand, lower the cost. I understand they're trying to do. But we have all these de- we have all these chemicals. We have no idea what happens to our body. There's a good book called The Hundred Year Lie, and it talks about ninety percent of the diseases we have today we didn't have hundred years ago 
but also 90% of the food isn't. And you talk about the bread and the grains and they're putting, they're putting you know, amphetamines in our food, things to make it, uh, sugars to addictive. These things are not food. They're, pro- as you talk about processed and a vegan, oh, to a be honest, a, they're a drugs. vegetarian diet that they're drugs. They're, that's, yeah. a, that's exactly what they are. They're speed. And, and they, and they get you, you know, glucose itself and high dose fructose stimulates the morphine reception of the brain. The you can sugar, never be satisfied. Yes. Yeah, sucrose, sucrose is, uh, um, pro carcinogen. Postcards, and again, it's and it's it's fifty and fruit. This is something that blew my mind, Doctor Malone. Fatty liver, basically, we always we were in our school. It was always alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. Yeah. The 1980 was the first case of not alcohol, uh, Nash. Mm-hmm. So they're finding out people don't drink, getting it. Well, look in '77. That's when the food pyramid came out. So 25 to 40 percent of Americans have fatty liver. Yeah. Fatty liver and acute hepatitis are reversible within six weeks if you stop this carbo load and then hepat- and then cirrhosis is non-reversible. We got to get it before yeah. then. So a disease that never occurred before 1980 is up to 40% of Americans. And we say, oh, I wonder where it came from. Yeah. We went to this grain diet yeah. and not just the grain, but grain that's been mutilated by all these chemicals. And the shocking thing is that our government won't do anything about it. They're, and if anything, they're driving it. It's the same. This is this is what has, you know. I've spent a lot of time understanding and, and frankly, talking with Bobby Kennedy, reading the book uh, "Turtles All the Way Down," etc., and really th- rethinking uh, what I had been trained as a vaccinologist. The assumptions that were baked into the world as as it, it was it was trained into me, and uh, I find the arguments about autism. The, the correlation with vaccines is temporal of when the pediatric vaccine uh, schedule exploded. But there's other things that happened in that time, uh, such as glyphosate and other agents and uh, uh, dietary changes that happen in America. Uh, but in uh, and, and exposure to other environmental toxins, but you cannot argue that we have not had a uh, an explosion in autism. It it is that is real, as Bobby says, and he said on Rogan. Well, as an there's OBGYN no sixty five. There's yeah, no sixty five autistic autistics uh, walking around banging their heads against the wall. They just didn't exist. Well, I was going to bring up the study from Wisconsin in nineteen seventy. It was one in ten thousand. Yeah. Now it's one in twenty to one to thirty two. But in nineteen eighty eight, we increased the vaccine schedule and and. I understand there's, I understand, you know, you're the pro vaccines, but aluminum, mercury, and neurotoxins, right? So the question is, what's a good amount of that in your nervous system? But the problem is, I have a picture of 79 vaccines before the age of four now. The EPA no, says I, and adult just, males just, just, more I than think I heard you say I'm pro vaccines. I am, I am pro science and I am. No, no, no. I said you're a brilliant on vaccines. Oh, okay. I said brilliant. Okay, thank you. I just want to make sure <laughs> yeah, that that brilliant. in there. Yeah, brilliant. No, brilliant. I'm, uh, you and I are aligned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what I did was okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. What you did? What was, I did was I got the sixteen most common vaccines for my pregnant patients, and I showed them every single ingredient in every single vaccine, so there'd be an informed consent, right? Um, so, so they could ha- ask questions to their pediatricians, and that's the thing. Again, I delivered these beautiful babies, and I delivered in this era where I started seeing little boys, mainly little boys, start running on their toes, having their hands go down and look down. And you're like, but what's happening? And when I hear that we're better diagnosticians to pick it up, again, to me, it was a Wisconsin study because in 1970, 
with autism, if if the rate if there's better than then like you said, there'd be over there'd be over there's 3.5 million adults with autism in 1970, and there wasn't. So the thing is now is we know it's going to be something. And then what I think what I'm really honored about Doctor uh, what Robert Kennedy did was he went down a path environmental. He wasn't even looking into this, yep. but he was, he was letting science and stuff show him to look. We, we can't be afraid to ask questions. And, and I deliver a brand new baby. And how do you get, how do you get hepatitis B? Sex and IV drug abuse. Yeah. This baby's 20, 12 years old. And the study on the hepatitis vaccine was done in an, an adult males in the Bronx. It wasn't even done on children. So it's like, we got to ask these questions. Yeah. And as a physician, you and I doing this seen patients, we should be in the cornerstone of medicine is informed consent, period. Amen. End of story. Amen. Um, and it's it's all been jettisoned uh, as if it was just rubbish. Uh, but, let, but let me be clear. When I talk about you and vaccine, I'm talking about the science. I mean, when you when you invent this new technology and do this kind of stuff, that's brilliant stuff. But the thing is, we have to ask questions. How's the immune system work? You know, because when you take a, a pathogen, we'll say that breaks our skin or goes through the GI tract, we have an immune system that's going to attack that way, right? But when you bypass the body's defense system and inject it directly into the muscle, we're bypassing how things work. They're not equivalents. And these things have to be looked at. It's vital, especially in a young brain that's developing at rapid rates, what these heavy metals will do, what these roundups do. Um, back to hormones. Again, we have in both men and women, I know we all know this, but testosterone converts to estradiol in both men and women. And estradiol goes back to hypothalamus and turns things off. We have all these estrogen mimickers in the environment. That's why our levels are lower. They're not lowering because we're evolving, adapting at a better rate. We're actually lowering them synthetically, not biologically. Um, so I applaud your position. And I, it sounds to me like we're completely aligned. <laughs> uh, and and the, the spectrum of agents uh, is is continually expanding. Um, and it's in a, in a way that I... I, um, I am amazed. Uh, it's as the more I dive into it and um, find out some of these different pesticides agents, which are um, uh, known to be involved in um, gender alterations, let's say amphibians, etc. Uh, atrazine is the biggest one. Yeah, the atrazine story is real. Uh, and, cool. and it's and it's uh, still widely used in the United States. Congress won't take any action. Yep. Uh, and um, yep. so it's up to us and it's up to our patients, as you say, to get informed, think for themselves, make a healthy lifestyle choices or not. Um, I, you probably remember well, or not. That's, yeah. that's liberty, right? Yeah, that's responsibility. You, you that's probably liberty. remember the that's film Supersize Me. Um, uh, oh, yes, I sure do. A groundbreaker. And you'll recall the clips mm -hmm. in there in the truck stops and stuff like that. There are folks that that basically want to die. Um, and uh, they they don't see any reason not to abuse their bodies. They they don't see a, a healthy future for themselves. It's a it's a, a tragedy. But that's the truth. And for those of us who do value our lives uh, in um, we don't, you know, and uh, there are options and it's shocking how effective those options are, but how transformational, I mean, people, 
don't they they see me and and they think uh, I'm I'm younger than I am. They sometimes uh, um, people will think that my wife is my daughter or that I've married a younger woman. And, um, it's it's just uh, it's about taking care of yourself and respecting right. all these There's classic statements, Dr. respecting Dr. your temple or whatever. Right? Yeah, exactly. There's a great book by Bosti in 1850. Uh, Frederick Bosti wrote a little essay called The Law. And he talks about, it's about liberty and freedom. And he he's basically an answer to Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. And he talks about, you got these, um, he calls them soothsayers and witch doctors that will take a young population base and do, and, you know, do things to them. And if they, but they, if they mess up, they just do another generation of it. And he goes, but they understand all these social engineers always exempt themselves. And his, his end of it, he says, we got to go back to liberty. And what is liberty of belief in God and his works? And that's what's really important to understand. But again, liberty demands responsibility. And I think we've been brainwashed that not to, you know, there's experts will tell you what to do. And, and I'm not saying we don't get wise counsel. You know, I got Jim as my partner. I got, they got friends. I got pastors. I got things that are my wise counsel. But ultimately, you have to be the one that takes responsibility. And I think that's what we got to nurture in people is to be, uh, in, in, in the idea they really want to be inquisitive and, and really there's never a dumb question. Keep asking, keep asking us. I want to learn. We all want to learn. If anybody thinks they know everything, run from that person. But I think that's what the best thing of COVID, the best thing of COVID, I think it's going to, I really believe it's going to blow away the D's and the R's and is to separate us. It's going to actually bond us on humanity. And I'm excited about that opportunity and liberty to watch that occur because it's fun. I think it's a great time to be alive ask questions, but you're right. There are people denying what they've said. And that to me, we have to, we have to understand like, like what is oxygen to do to mitochondria, how the body works. You know, we, there's certain things we did fundamentally wrong that are fundamentally against medicine, against physiology, physiology. So we have to understand that responsibility. So I, again, I think the last three years have been exciting. I was on a uh, recording this morning with Jay Bhattacharya. And uh, we ended up in a very similar uh, line of reasoning. Uh, basically, what the heck went wrong? Why were all of the norms, common sense, you know, lessons learned over decades jettisoned? And it's I I can't answer the question. It's it, to the only the only ways that I can even get close to answering the question is to go down these various conspiracy rabbit holes that I refuse to go down, at least in public. Uh, but, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's very hard to square the circle about what was done, uh, in, in the rejection of established norms and common sense. Uh, and, and well, I've, I, I have this, a theory, Dr. Malone. Yeah, please share. Here's my theory. And, and Madison talked about this when, in the constant, in the convention, he says, America, there's so many different factions that you'll never get one faction control because regionally, uh, ancestrally, we're, we're, we're different. What keeps us the commonality is our belief in liberty. That's our commonality. But you can't have constitutionally, you're supposed to have a representative for every 70, for every 35,000 people. But the problem is in 1913, they've changed it where the House representative stays 435. So it can't get, it doesn't represent who we are, right? We're this one nation, and again, don't me wrong, I'm not talking, I love this country. But we're, we're, the problem is we centralize control. Nowhere in Article 1, Section 8 gives Congress the power for healthcare and medicine. Nowhere. It's yeah. not there. 
That's a decentralized. That should be a local thing, right? Yep. So when things are when things are decentralized, more ideas are in the room, right? That's what I think. You, so you and I, once again, you and I are people. exactly aligned um, in the challenges that there are so many forces that want to drive towards centralization and globalization. It's highly profitable what, for monopolies. I mean, the monopolies. I, I agree, and that's why. That's why voices like Ron Paul, I think, is the is has been phenomenal because it lets you think again. But when they want to divide, I'm a Democrat or I'm a, I'm a how many guys today, how many people 25 years ago who are in Republicans will call them would ever want to listen to a Kennedy? They wouldn't because they just they're biases, right? Mm-hmm. We can't have that anymore. We have to stop these biases because we have to look back at the at what life really is. And I've been. I've, but again, again, I'm repeating this many times, but liberty, freedom is very, very scary. It's like liberty over coercion, freedom over compulsion. Some people think, I want, I want like the big thing, uh, I, I fear nothing, all this kind of stuff. There are, but most, I think you talk about what drove it together. It's the fear, right? It was the fear of this new thing. And people get fearful and they get, they get, they get very catatonic. And that and they can't fear was it. intentionally promoted. But, fear porn was intentionally dis- deployed. But I, I'd like to riff off of your <sighs> comment about, about liberty and responsibility. And I, I talk about this fairly often. Um, particularly the, the, uh, an example that really brings it home is the young parent on top of all they have to do grappling with the vaccine schedule. And I get these questions all the time. Dr. Malone, are there any safe childhood vaccines? Which childhood vaccine should my child take? When should they take them? Should I stretch the the uh, um, the uh, dosing out more and spread it out more? Uh, do I really need to take hepatitis B? Do I need really need to take HPV, uh, my child? Should my wife get vaccinated prior to delivery? All, all these questions. And um, it, when I coach people on this, what I, the path I take is Unfortunately, now you have two choices. You can allow authority to make your decisions for you. And if bad things happen one way or the other, if there's a vaccine adverse event, if you if the child is taking the vaccine or if the child didn't take the vaccine, there is an adverse event because they got infected. Um, you can put all of that responsibility onto the system, the physicians and absolve yourself of that personal responsibility. Um, Or you can choose to make informed decisions, but know that when you do, either way, there could be consequences that um, may be unfortunate and you're gonna have to live with them. Once you make the decision that you are gonna take charge of your personal life, then you enter into a space in which you have to be willing to accept the consequences of those decisions. And for about five to 10% of the population, there's no other way to live. For the likes of you and me, we can't live any other way. It's just constitutionally, we're, we're not wired that way. We're, we're never gonna be happy in a world in which Big Brother or Klaus Schwab is telling us what to do. Um, and for a large fraction of the population, unfortunately, they would far rather 
have a pseudo parent, a authority figure, tell them how to live their lives and go through life in a fog. Uh, but that's their choice. Uh, but once you decide that you want to take command of your own life and uh, child rearing and everything else, you have to accept that things happen. Good things happen and you celebrate them and bad things happen and you live with them. I mean, it's, it's, that's one thing that farm life tells you, teaches you, you know, you can, you can swing with a hatchet and miss and lose a thumb. And that's just the way things are. Uh, and so you better be careful not to do that or, or tangle your arm in the power takeoff on the tractor or whatever. I mean, bad stuff ha can happen and it, you have to be very aware of it. It changes the, your world when, when you have to take personal responsibility for your own actions and the consequences to your a spouse, your family and everything else. But for many of us, uh, we wouldn't live any other way. Uh, and, and that's kind of, I think, where you and I are both at. Uh, and and uh, I think that feeds into the whole logic of Optimal Bio is uh, you don't have to take hormone supplements. Uh, you don't have to um, choose to uh, have your later years be more active, less sedentary. Uh, you don't have to uh, live in a with a lifestyle in which you can enjoy the latter third of your life and live it to the hilt. You can decide that you're just going to kind of clock out and watch the tube and see the world go by and check out um, and do what you're told. Or you can say, hey, you know, I want to I want to explore the world. I want to seize this time and this opportunity uh, to be and experience everything I can. Um, I, I don't see any other way to live, but I'm, I'm not everybody. <laughs> so getting back to health, um, you're, I just want to go back 30 minutes ago because we kind of went off on a tangent, which is a good tangent, but you're in the system. You're thinking COVID's very dangerous. You get it, obviously. You go get the vaccine. Um, now you're obviously outspoken and you're talking about medical freedom and dystopia and everything else. What changed I guess for you that created this pivot, you know, for you to. So I talk about that in the book. Today. It's one of the early chapters in this book, The Lies My Government Told Me and The Better Future Coming. Uh, the book about being red, the chapter about being red pilled. The truth is that it was a gradient. It was a series of events, one after the other, after the other, after the other, that frankly radicalized me, that caused me to reassess the world as I knew it. When, when you've experienced the type of uh, wicked attacks and misrepresentation and intentional lies and, uh, and defamation, slander, um, all, and all of the tricks of the trade in fifth generation warfare and psyops, when you experience it personally, you cannot come out the other side without being changed. And uh, things like having our the book that Jill and I wrote and published in February of 2020 on how to protect and prepare yourself from the novel coronavirus and have that taken down by Amazon uh, for the justification that it violated community guidelines and they would say nothing more. There was nothing radical in that book. Um, the uh, the being exposed and being highly sensitive to the 
I don't know how else to say it, lies. We call it misrepresentations. Uh, we could call it uh, some nice, pretty words, but it, it comes down to lying to the American public. As somebody that was attuned to the science and technology so highly, and seeing that day to day, having patients come to me saying, I'm confused, I don't understand this, why are they doing this? Seeing the public health decisions, seeing the misrepresentations, understanding the immunology, understanding mucosal immunology, uh, and seeing this gross misrepresentations that were being made by public health officials with the um, full backing of corporate media, um, again and again and again, experiencing being written out of history on Wikipedia and slandered and defamed, uh, experiencing Google directly attacking um, and, and slandering and censoring. Uh, you can't come out of that, the other side, um, uh, the same person as you went in. Um, I uh, have a friend that's uh, another uh, well-known physician in this, Paul Merrick, uh, who tells the story. Uh, he used to just go home after work, sit down, read the New York Times and the Washington Post, and flip on, you know, the usual corporate media and think nothing of it. And he said, now I cannot read the New York Times and the Washington Post. I can't do it anymore. After all I've seen and experienced, uh, it changes you. The expression I use to try to convey it is you're in a dark room. You back up and bump into the light switch and you see things. You can never unsee them. You are changed forever. And that, that has been my experience. And it's, of course, been done in a very public forum. I've, I've walked this line now of, of having to uh, share with very, you know, on, rec on record, in podcast after podcast after podcast, my assessment and understanding of the state of the science and epidemiology as it's evolved. And there are people that will go back and look at my earlier presentations and say, oh, Robert Malone, you're a horrible person because, it, you know, you endorsed uh, vaccinating the elderly. Well, at one point, I said repeatedly that the data st still supported vaccinating the elderly. They never supported vaccinating the children. And I, I was very outspoken. I did a short video on this. I call it my hostage video. I was actually reading from a script, which I almost never do. And uh, it went viral all over the world. And I was attacked by the Spanish and the Israeli governments, for instance, uh, about uh, the problems associated with vaccinating your children with these products. I spoke out very early about the risks to pregnant women uh, and the impact on menstruation, but not right at the very start. I didn't know those things. I took the vaccine not knowing the adverse events. And people attack me, you know, why didn't you know that? Well, I guess because I'm not God. Uh, I'm not prescient. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, and it's all out there. But as the data have evolved, you know, for instance, one of the ways that Jay Bhattacharya and I differ a little bit, we didn't want to pick at the differences in our conversation today, but one of them is he still believes that vaccinating the elderly with these products makes some sense. The problem is that to my eye, the data show not only is there increased risk in the elderly, which is undeniable, 
associated with this respiratory virus, like most respiratory viruses, very similar risk. Um, those risks increase with age and comorbidities. But unfortunately, so do the risks associated with the products. These, you know, we call them vaccines that don't protect against infection, replication, spread, or death. Um, so are they really a vaccine? But the, with the elderly, at first it looked like uh, the risk-benefit ratio still favored vaccinating the elderly and the high-risk populations. And then over time, as we learn more about the adverse events, and you, you look again and again and again at those risk-benefit ratios, it no longer makes sense. They, there is, as far as I'm concerned, no public health benefit that I can discern associated with the use of these vaccines. And that's my current position, and it's been my position since about March of last year, I think it was, when we gave our... Uh, global COVID summit declaration in which we said these should be withdrawn from the market. Uh, but um, that's that's been my journey is in a, in a very public way. I've been, you know, a, this constant pressure, Dr. Malone explained to us what is an mRNA vaccine. I mean, when it started, it was all mumbo jumbo. Um, Tony Fauci wasn't explaining the technology. Nobody was explaining the technology. Uh, it was it was it was just kind of uh, taken and shut up, kid, uh, and uh, or else you're going to lose your job. I mean, how bad was that? I got attacked by Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post right after the quote license was issued because I wrote the first analysis of those uh, FDA authorization packages in which I said, well, actually, the products that are on the market are not the uh, licensed product, uh, and we are still all receiving the emergency use authorized product, which requires full informed consent and in which we are not being provided with any uh, inf uh, documentation in terms of the risks and uh, the package inserts. You remember those package inserts that are blank? Um, and, uh, um, and Glenn Kessler attacked me for this. Oh, no, it's absolutely not the case. And, you know, these are, we're out, they're actually marketing the licensed vaccine, blah, 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 blah. It was all smoke and mirrors. We now know that. It's all accepted. There's a, there's a, after I did the Rogan hit, Business Insider came out with a hit piece on me. I mean, after you've been through enough of these rounds of corporate media slandering you, like they, like Vice did with Bobby Kennedy after his Rogan hit, um, the, you know, the Vice article that Joe Rogan called dog shit. Um, uh, you, you see it as soon as I started reading that article, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. <laughs> um, there's just certain, they, they, they go right straight to the ad hominems and, uh, to the party line. They don't examine the topic. They don't examine the arguments being made. They don't examine the data. They just spout these lies. Um, that have been reinforced. It's it's the old story. If you tell a lie often enough, people will believe it. And um, so you see this over time playing out again and again and again. And it's like a broken record. Once you can see the tools and techniques, the types of tools, the logical errors that the press uses, and it's almost always ad hominem in these in these areas. They almost always lead by um, slander, you know, you are, they weaponize words. You are an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> oh my God, that has got to be the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, that means that you are the next step over from eating babies on a regular basis for breakfast. Um, 
And uh, when you unpack that, for instance, Merriam-Webster redefining anti-vaxxer as anybody who is against vaccine mandates, um, when they made that change to the meaning of the word uh, that had already been weaponized, that automatically defined a plurality, if not the majority of Americans as anti-vaxxers. And suddenly, I think they didn't think this through, uh, the power of that weaponized term kind of fell out <laughs> when the polls showed that most Americans were now identifying as anti-vaxxers. And so now they had to do something else. And so we've had Peter Hotez, who's the man of the hour, um, putting out a peer-reviewed paper in an obscure Indian journal, asserting that anti-vaxxers are anti-Semites. And so we've had the this, this necessary ratcheting up of the uh, weaponized language um, so that, you know, since anti-vaxxers is not a powerful enough uh, attack phrase, um, now it's it's uh, made equivalent to uh, anti-Semitism, uh, far right, and here comes neo-Nazi. Okay, that's like, boom. The, the only thing that they can go from that, once you get to that point, the next step is pedophilia, okay? I'm sure that at some point we're going to hear someone trying to equate anti-vaxxer with pedophilia because that's how they play the game. It's it's all, uh, you know, psychological warfare. And uh, the lovely thing, you were talking about the silver lining associated with what we've been through. Another one of the silver linings is that we can increasingly see, perceive the general public is increasingly aware of the games that have been played on them. And for me, it really kind of gelled when Tucker Carlson made his comments about um, the RFK files, the Warren Commission, and the failure to release the Warren Commission documents and what was told to him about somebody who was very familiar with those documents. That in fact, yes, the, the CIA was involved. And I can tell you, Bobby is absolutely convinced the CIA was involved in the assassination of both his father and his uncle. Um, and I think many of us um, are concerned for it. Think about this as a tangent. Imagine you're RFK Jr. Because this, I, you, you may not be aware I'm fairly close to him and some of the people that are behind his campaign. I'm not endorsing him. I'm not part of the campaign just to say that. But uh, they came to me during the summer. He, he disclosed to me in private during the summer that he was thinking about running. And then some of these people came to our farm and shared with me polls that had uh, Zogby had done in the, during the summer that were very encouraging, uh, crossing party lines. And, uh, um, and asked me, what do you think Bobby should do? And I said, unfortunately, I don't think he has a moral choice. I think that the ethics of the situation are such that he has to run, despite the fact that he will be at great personal risk for his own health. And, and by God, that is pretty much his position, is um, he's doing it of necessity. He is not somebody who is seeking fame and fortune or 10% for the big guy. Um, he, he is doing it because he is committed, as many of us are, to trying to save this precious little egg that's been passed to us by these people who had farms, many of them are right around where my farm is, Madison, Jefferson, and so many others. 
this, this, this gift through time that they have given to us of a decentralized uh, representative uh, government uh, that, that uh, can withstand the ten- test of time, can adapt to new conditions. But I'm, I'm often reminded of the warning that was given along with that to avoid these uh, foreign uh, affairs, these foreign entanglements, these offshore adventures. We have become so enamored of uh, the idea of, of Pax Americana and America as the world's policeman and all that stuff and, and all of the big megalopoly op- business opportunities that come with it uh, that we've, we've neglected to just take care of business, take care of our country, take care of our people and operate within the framework of the Constitution. I mean, the, the, the Constitution is trampled routinely now, um, and, and no one seems to care. No one on the Hill. Yeah. Do you hear Rand Paul jumping up and down, throwing the Constitution in the air, going, my God, you people, have you not paid attention? I mean, that, that went out of, fa- that went out of uh, favor with the Tea Party patriots. Uh, you know, nobody does that anymore, but it's still valid. So I'm sorry to rant. Uh, but you asked what set me off down this pathway. And I think a key event uh, um, was as I was being just vilified by corporate media, journalists that I had worked with and helped support for decades, usually on background, wouldn't even take my call. Um, uh, I was embraced by Glenn Beck. And, and when he asked me to come on his show, I was like, I don't know, Glenn Beck, that's right next to Alex Jones. That's, I don't know, that's a little, that's a little far. Um, but I said, yes, along the lines of, I want to get the truth out no matter how, what it takes and who I have to talk to. And Glenn had me on his show for four or five episodes in a row, which he never does. And, uh, we got along really well. And at, at the start, I was thinking I was, you know, kissing the devil here. And at the end, I was like, I got to rethink what I thought about politics. (laughs) I got to completely rethink the nature of the world as I thought it existed. And uh, likewise with Steve Bannon. Uh, And uh, now I'm a a paying member of the Council on National Policy. Matt and Mercedes Schlapp live on their farm about 15 miles north of here. They use this studio from time to time. They're great friends. I'm going to be seeing them right after our podcast. Uh, um, uh, We're going up for a a little uh, meeting with a lecturer from Israel. And uh, my my frame of reference has completely changed. Uh, And uh, after what I've seen. I was on Glenn's show about three or four times. Yeah. okay. I was on Glenn's show about three or four times and. He really just wants to get information out. I, I I think he's phenomenal asking good detailed questions. He's very, very um, research bound. Um, and again, you, you tell it about the constitution, but if that's, he asked me about that when I was in the show and I go, just the, the framework's perfect. We just have men and women that honor in it because we don't, we don't hold them accountable to that. Right. But yeah. And Glenn's a gentle giant. He's like six, four, six, five. Yes. He's a, uh, a gentle giant, but he really loves to fight for the truth. I, I think it's phenomenal. I, I mean, I saw your shows. I was very happy you're on there. So that's, that's so been my, my story. Optimist- Go ahead. 
Am I optimistic? No, it's great. Now, as we close this, are you optimistic about the future? Or I know it's going to be a fight, but you know, where do you see healthcare? Um, do you see another five month clinical trial someday to push additional vaccines out? Or are we going to go back to traditional trials where it takes years and years of data before we decide whether they're safe and effective? So I already know the you answer. See the future. Uh, the answer was pre-baked at a key meeting at the World Health Organization that involved our HHS, um, and Margaret Liu was chairing it. Uh, they are are actively pushing the RNA vaccine platform. There are over 200 clinical trials anticipated, over 50 currently enrolling. Um, they they want to push it into every aspect of medicine they can. One of the things about this tech, um, number one, the patents that I authored and played a key role in and 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 an inventor on the ones behind my back by the way i call that the alex berenson wall um if anybody that's been following my story will get a kick out of that one um uh so uh those have all expired which means they're public domain and uh so that means that uh you one a company can come in and practice within the defined within the constraints of, of their own patent position, but the general technology is public domain now. And it's a gold rush. We're, we're in a gold rush environment because this is a whole new drug category. And they, the FDA is all okay with jamming this down everybody's throat. And the logic is that they have clearly established, I mean, I, you can't make this up. They have clearly established the safety and efficacy of the core technology, uh, and therefore there's no need to rerun the basic trials so long as you keep the fundamental formulation the same and only change out the sequence, in other words, substitute hemagglutinin for, for spike or whatever the thing is. Um, so change out the sequence, keep the composition matter, keep the pseudouridine in there, keep the toxic lipids in there. Um, uh, that's okay. We can just swap that out. You don't have to do the uh, non-clinical safety and toxicology studies, not that they ever got done in the first place. Um, and you can just go ahead and rapid fire this into clinical trials and expedite it. That's the logic. That is what's being done. It's endorsed by the FDA. You know, there there is no pathway here um, other than uh, a fundamental change in the executive branch, and even then is going to be wicked hard uh, to change uh, the, the course on this great big massive oil tanker uh, that it's, you know, um, navigating all our harbors as a metaphor. If you know anything about big ships, uh, you can't turn them around. Sure. Uh, it's 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 going to be a tough one. Um, and uh, I'm doing what I can. I know you're doing what you can, uh, but um, this is not right. And and this technology is anything but safe and effective. It it uh, has proven itself. As Jill and I, my wife, found out in the '90s when we abandoned this technology, because wait for it, it was too inflammatory. The nonspecific inflammation associated with the tech was so amazingly powerful. I have never seen a neutrophilic infiltrate in a macaque lung like you can get from administering a polynucleotide catenic lipid complex. It is like neutrophil, um, come get dinner. They just 
blasting. Uh, they, they, it, it triggers uh, a polymorphic nuclear infiltrate like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, these, these are intrinsically toxic. They are membrane active, biologically active, foreign compounds. Your body doesn't know how to metabolize them. The pseudouridine has so many different types of activities that are not understood. Uh, this is this is a classic story of arrogant academic scientists getting way ahead of their skis, and then um, the industry jumping on board, saying, "Hey, we can make a boatload of money staying with uh, um, uh, the metaphor of, of big boats." Uh, and um, you know, once once you get those things coming together. And then you get pharma's making big money, and pharma basically capitalizes our electoral system. They they have. I read a great essay today about the relationship between pharma and the media, and it's not that pharma is buying good news by pharma subsidizing um, corporate media. What they're doing is ensuring that corporate media will always be biased towards the pharmaceutical industry perspective. They're not buying individual adverts. They are buying a whole industry's objectivity and in influencing it so that it will always be biased towards their corporate interests. And this was all enabled, sorry, by Teddy Kennedy, in his committees, and there was a deal struck with Novartis, uh, which is what gave rise to Novartis moving out of Switzerland into Boston and catalyzing the Boston miracle in biotechnology. That's how that happened. Okay, the deal that was struck, and and this comes after the deal that was run through that committee with the blessing of Ronald Reagan, because Wyeth basically held a gun to his head and said, we're gonna get out of the pediatric vaccine business because we're losing our shirts. And he said, well, why don't you just make safer vaccines? And they said, vaccines are intrinsically toxic, unsafe. Bobby call, called this absolutely correctly in the Rogan interview. Um, and that's, we are now living with the consequences. Europe, they don't advertise drugs on the TV. <laughs> that does not happen. Right. That's, that is un almost universal in the Western world. That, that, you know, but we have allowed pharma to uh, capture this amazing propaganda tool of corporate media and uh, bend it to its will. And we're living with the consequences. And now I, how, do we, how do we redirect that in an environment in which our politicians almost to a T are, are dependent on breast milk from pharma? Um, we, I don't know how we fix this. I mean, that if you look at the hearings about COVID that are happening on the Hill, nobody wants to talk about the real questions. They'll talk about masks or they'll talk about lockdowns. Well, they talk about the pharmaceutical aspects of this and what's happened with the industry and the interface with CDC and FDA and the regulatory capture and all that. Hell no, they run from that. They don't want to talk about it. Trump doesn't want to talk about it. Biden doesn't want to talk about it. Um, DeSantis and, and Kennedy are the only two. Uh, and in the Senate, having been there repeatedly now, um, on the Republican side, Republican, I note, not conservative. That's another one of the things that's come out 
is is uh, there's a heck of a lot of conservatives who no longer are willing to formally affiliate with the Republican Party um, because of, of what's gone down. But most of those senators want this all to go away. Uh, they they know that if if this is uncovered in the way that it should be, um, there's going to be consequences all up and down the food chain. And and frankly, capping it off about Bobby. He is an enormous threat to the intelligence community and the administrative state. And as if he gains more momentum, uh, we already know what they will do. We already know what they had done in the past to American citizens, American politicians. I, it is enormously brave for him to stand up and do and say what he's doing. He is taking enormous personal risk. And you can see it. Google, you know, one of the things that's come out recently is Google through YouTube and, and in their search engines algorithmically is, is deleting and deplatforming any conversation that has to do with Bobby Kennedy. I found it in one of my podcasts. Um, I did a podcast down in Palm Beach. That's the third time I've gone to that podcaster. Um, we typically hit, you know, five to 10 million views. And, uh, he was loading a podcast, the most recent one we did, in which about 15 minutes in, we started talking about Bobby and his kickoff speech in Boston. And he was loading it up on YouTube. It's all going fine. He's quite sophisticated in terms of the censorship algorithms. And suddenly it kicked it out while it was uploading. He's never seen that before. And he was able to go back and find exactly what the trigger was to get it kicked off of YouTube. It was when we started talking about Bobby Kennedy. That was about a month and a half ago. That, that's where we're at. Now, my wife is hovering because we're late. Um, uh, so I'm going to have to sign yeah. off. So I, I sympathize with you. Um, well, when we cl- thank you, by the way. This was fascinating today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, we usually just ask the guests for two or three takeaways that you can give the audience. You want to just give us your takeaway ways, Dr. Um, uh, commit yourself to integrity, um, respecting human dignity. Um, and generally trying to be kind. Number two, uh, learn what fifth generation warfare and modern psyops are. Learn the technologies that they're deploying on us, assimilate them. If nothing else, it will make you able to see through them. And if you really learn that tech and start to understand how it works psychologically, what the underpinnings are, you can change yourself. You can choose to not be a victim. You can choose to be a warrior. And I think that's my biggest challenge to anyone listening here is it's so easy to define yourself as a victim after all we've been through, whether or not you're vaccine injured. It is really easy to take on the role of the victim. Don't do it. It's seductive. Don't do it. Be a warrior. Join us. Fight for your freedom. Fight for your children. Um, stand up and speak truth. It's your truth. It's not my truth. Don't, you know, think for yourself. That's the last thing. You know, listen, learn, think for yourself, make your own decisions. Be a, be a, a independent being by God. Um, don't be a sheep. <laughs> um, there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, choose the path of freedom. Uh, it's, it's not an easy life. Uh, but I think it's the only life. I guess then the other closure is there is hope for the elderly. (laughs) 
And, uh, and one of those things to give us hope is to uh, check uh, your hormonal balance, eat well, um, learn about supplements, avoid the toxins that are all rife in our environment, and uh, respect that your, your body is the only thing you've got. It is your temple. That's not just a hairy-fairy statement. It's, it's the thing within which you have to reside. And uh, you, can, you, can, you can make your own heaven, both externally and internally, and you can make your own hell. And that's, that's, uh, that's up to you. So there's my, my closing thoughts. Dr. Malone, thank you. It's been an honor. And keep fighting a good fight. Thank yes. you. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Okay. This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brannon, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, medical director Greg Brannon, production assistance by Core Media, Beth Grabencourt, administrator, Kevin Duthu, executive producer. The podcast can be found on our website, optimalbio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound.